So originally in my uh, sermon planning, uh, I, I messed the worship team up because I gave them a schedule and then I'm totally not following it. Um, but uh, uh, originally we were going to do a whole message today uh, just on the end of John chapter 20 uh, where uh, I believe this is kind of John's thesis statement, um, but it actually worked out well in the last message to bring it in there because it helped tie things together there and make sense of what was going on there. Um, but also, it, it, I want to bring it back in today, but we're going to go, go further beyond that. Um, but John 20, starting in verse 30, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And I take that right there as John's thesis statement for everything that he's written in the book. This, this is what he's saying. He's saying, hey, I didn't write everything down. If you think I gave you an exhaustive account of everything that Jesus ever did or said or anything, like, no, that's not the point of this book. The point of the book is this, I've given you the main points, I've given you the facts that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, walked among us, lived among us, he did miracles, he did mighty things, I saw it with my own eyes, I touched him, I ate with him, when he fed 5,000 people I was there, when he did this, when he did that, I was there. As he healed people, I saw them sick and then, uh, then not sick. As he brought people back from the dead, I saw them dead and then not dead. And John's saying, here's my full account of this. I've written all this down so that you may believe and have life. And it seems like, you know, he's just gone through the gospel. He's gone through the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose again three days later. And he's, he's covered the fact that he just appeared to the disciples. Um, and it, it would seem just in reading the book of John that this would just be the perfect spot for him to just end it. Right? Like, and so people as... Theologians have studied the book of John. They really question chapter 21. Because it's like he wrote everything and it builds to this point And it's like, boom, perfect ending spot. And then he tells a story about fishing. And so theologians have wrestled with this and they say, well, did somebody else add this fishing story on to the end later or something? Like, was this really, was this really John that put, put this, this random fishing story on the end of, of, uh, of what he wrote here? And um, as theologians have dug into this, what the consensus is, is yes, John wrote chapter 21. Um, when you look at it, uh, for, there's several ways that, you know, they have a whole scientific method that they use for, for studying these things. And I could go into a lot of big words and details, but, um, we know that, that we don't have the original that John wrote, right? 
but what we do have is he wrote the original and then copies were made. And this copy went over here and this copy went over here and this copy went over here and they spread out everywhere. And how we know what the original said is we, we take all of those copies and we put them together and we compare them and we say, okay, where is there any differences? Where did anything maybe get changed? Which one's older? Which one's closer to the original? Um, and that kind of thing. And we take, we take the copies and we, we bring them together and then that's how we have a really, really good picture of what the originals said, okay? Um, but here's the deal with chapter 21. Every single copy we have from, that spread out everywhere all have chapter 21. None of them are without chapter 21. So that's a good, good indication that John probably wrote chapter 21 as a part of the original. Um, because if, if it was somebody adding it later, it'd be really hard to go geographically all over the globe, pull all the copies back together to add this in, right? Um, so that's one good indication. A second indication is you, the, as, we, uh, as theologians go, go through it, they look at the word choices. And is this the same kind of word choices that John has used in the rest of the book, or does this sound like somebody totally different? Um, and the word choices throughout chapter, chapter 21 are completely in line with the rest of what John wrote. Um, in fact, John's the only one in the New Testament that talks about a charcoal fire. Do you remember where he talked about a charcoal fire? Anybody remember? Peter in the courtyard, that's right. So Peter, when he denies Jesus, he's in the courtyard, and in John's details included the fact that he was around a charcoal fire. Well, here again in chapter 21, he includes a fact about a charcoal fire. Again, he uses the same wording um, there, and he's the only writer out of all the New Testament that mentions charcoal. Um, and yet he's using the same word. So little things like that give us a good indication that, hey, yeah, this is the way this guy talks. This is the way this guy writes. And so this is probably him. And so this makes me ask, if he's written such an amazing book and it has such a natural ending at the end of chapter 20, why does he include chapter 21? Is he just one of these preachers that just doesn't know when to quit? Right? Like, I mean, some of us have that problem, right? Like, we just, we just don't know, like, okay, you, you, you drove the point home, now you can just land the plane. May, does he just have trouble landing the plane? And I don't think so. I think the point of chapter 21 is this, and also why he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation. Is, it's because the fact is, is that believing and having life in Jesus is just the beginning. And so he's taken us all the way to the point where like, hey, here's what I want you to have. I want you to have belief and life in Jesus. And then now it all really begins. And he takes us to this fishing story of something that happened right after the resurrection. So let's see what happens. Chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Anybody know this guy? 
He's like, I don't know what to do right now, so I'm going fishing, right? Um, so Peter's like, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. I don't know about you, but it seems like every time we hear about Simon and the disciples fishing, they catch nothing. Um, so I don't know if that's a sign. but um, So just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? So basically what Jesus is coming out is in the morning, he's coming out and like, hey, you got anything to eat? You got food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. Now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. So who's the disciple that Jesus loves? John. And John's saying, it's in that moment with a net full of fish that we can't even haul in off of this random guy out on, on the shore telling us to throw the net over there. It clicks for him. That's Jesus. And he tells Peter, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, prayed stripped for the work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went uh, aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and, and so would the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay? And so we have this story where Jesus comes to them. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, I've kind of had that really high spiritual moment. We can talk about them like as a, a mountaintop kind of moment. And I would have to imagine for the disciples at that moment when, when Jesus appears in the upper room and it becomes crystal clear to them that he has defeated sin and death. He has won the battle. He is back alive. He just appeared in a locked room with us. This dude is awesome. Like that would have to be a pretty high moment, right? Like, like wouldn't you be pretty, pretty pumped up then? And the tendency is, after we have those high mountaintop moments, is we come down the other side. And then we kind of shift back into, well, this is just everyday life. So it's kind of like, I kind of see Peter and these seven there, and they're like, well, that was awesome. Jesus is back alive. What do you guys want to do now? I don't know. What do you want to do? Um, and they, they're not quite pinky in the brain, so they, they can't come up with take over the world. Um, so what do they decide to do? They decide to go right back to what they did before, before Jesus ever called them. 
What were they? They were fishermen. It's like, well, Jesus, well, we did that three years with Jesus. Now he raised from the dead. So I don't know. Let's go fishing. Right? And again, Jesus comes to them and he shows, he shows them their purpose is not, and purpose in life is not to catch fish. What did Jesus tell Peter when he first called him? Yeah, let's go look at that story as Luke records it. In Luke 5, this is, this is the story as Luke records it of when Jesus first calls Peter to follow him. Luke 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out um, of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. And so Jesus' first calling of Peter was with this miraculous display of, yeah, you, you, you're a great fisherman, right? This is your occupation. You caught nothing all night. When do you catch fish? At night. What time is it now? Morning. Don't catch fish in the morning. We're washing our nets. That's what fishermen do. We're getting cleaned up so we can go to bed so that we can do it again tomorrow night. But Jesus says, hey, let's go out there. Throw the net in. Too many fish. And Peter understands this is miraculous. This is a guy that's beyond just being a normal guy. And Peter comes to the conclusion that he is Lord. And in fact, he's so struck by it that he's struck by his own sinfulness and knows that he doesn't even need to be in the presence of Jesus. And yet Jesus calls him out of that and says, come follow me. And from now on, I'm giving you a different purpose. I'm giving you a different mission. You're to be catching men from this point forward. Three years later, three years of walking with Jesus, three years of Jesus discipling him, Jesus is about to go to the cross. Peter is in that courtyard, and what does he do? He denies Jesus. How many times did he deny him? Three times. <coughs> Excuse me. And so here we see Jesus coming back to Peter after Peter had denied him and meeting him in the same way that he met him to start with to prove the point once again to him that, hey, if you're worried about your livelihood, you're worried about catching fish so that you can put food on the table, you're worried about having money, here's the deal. I've got it all. 
and I've got it all in my hand. You want fish? Here you go. Do you notice Jesus asks them, hey, you got anything to eat? And they say no. By the time they get to the shore, what's, what's, he, what's he cooking? Fish and bread. Right? Like he, he, Jesus doesn't need them to catch the fish for him. But he's like, you guys want a fish? Okay. Hey, throw your net over there. 153 of them in there. Now, there's been a lot of speculation over the years through theologians trying to allegorize this story and, you know, put extra meaning in places. Um, a lot of speculation has gone into the 153. Uh, some, some have said that that it, it represents the church, um, and they, they say, you know, there's, there was one trend that was saying that, like, at that time there were thought to be 153 species of fish, and so this was representing the whole world, and um, there's... There's another trend that was saying that it includes, you know, the 100 were the Jews and 50 were Gentiles and three were the Trinity. Um, and I'm just like, man, that's really creative. Um, I don't know where you get that from what's said here. John is a fisherman by trade. And he's like, dude, we caught a lot of fish. And I'm sure somebody said, hey, how many fish are they? And they started counting them. Because that's what you would do when you catch a lot of fish, right? Like, how many fishermen, when they catch fish, say, oh, well, I don't know. It was a big one. Like, it, it might have been a 10-pounder or it might have been a three. No, they're pulling that scale out. They're weighing that sucker so they can brag about it, right? Like, this is part of fishing. And so you catch this kind of a haul, what's John going to do? He's going to count those fish. And so here's what I think the 153 means. There is a lot of fish. Like, that's what it means. And what does that tell us? That tells us that if we're following Jesus and Jesus is the one we're looking to to meet our needs, he can give us 153 fish in a minute after we've just tried all night on our own doing our own thing. And so I want to tell you that Jesus meets the needs of those who believe in him. So John said the point in his writing is so that you can believe and have life. After he got, got through covering that point, he takes us to this point, the fact that, hey, Jesus meets the needs of those who believe in him. And so whatever you need, I believe, fully believe that if you follow Jesus, he's going to meet that need. Now I said need, not want. Okay? Let's just be clear on that. It's need, not want. Also want to be clear that I'm not proposing um, that you come to Jesus, you believe in Jesus, and you no longer have to work. Um, the New Testament is clear on that. Um, they had this problem with people taking this teaching, and they were saying, well, Jesus is going to meet my needs. I'm just going to kick back and do nothing, right? Like, this is great. Everybody's sharing everything in common. What do I got to do? And that's why when Paul wrote, you don't work, you don't eat, Right? Um, and so I'm not, not proposing laziness. I'm not proposing a lack of work ethic to provide for yourself and just stressing that, oh, Jesus is going to bring it. No, I think we do need to work. I think that scripture is clear on that. Um, and I'm also not advocating that we don't need to be wise and good stewards of what we do have. Because God does, as he blesses us, he expects us to, to take care of it. 
He expects us to make wise decisions with it. He expects us to bless others with it. He expects us to give um, in the way that he would want us to give. But what I am saying is I fully believe this, is that for the Christian, for the believer, for the follower of Christ, if you have a need and you're walking faithfully with him, he's going to meet your needs. It might not be in the time that you want or in the way that you want, but in the end, he is able and he is going to meet your needs. He can do that. Well, Jesus goes on here with Peter. So you got the picture. They're around the charcoal fire again. Smelling the charcoal. They're hanging out. What happened last time we saw Peter smelling charcoal? He's denying Jesus three times. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't know exactly who the these are. The point is, Jesus asked him, do you love me more than whatever else is important to you? You ran back to fishing. Do you love me more than fishing? You're hanging out with your buddies here. Do you love me more than your buddies here? Your other priorities in your life, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So three times Peter denied him. Three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? Jesus is restoring Peter. He's taking Peter, who, who probably even in his own mind is like, am I even worthy to be a disciple anymore? Like, I'm really excited Jesus rose from the dead, but man, I really did wrong when I denied him. I said I was ready to go to death with him, but yet, as soon as it was on the line, I said I didn't even know him. And you'd have to think that was lingering in the back of his mind. So Jesus here takes that, and he pulls those doubts, and he pulls those things out, and he says... Basically what he's saying is, hey, you're forgiven. I'm restoring you. I'm making you right. I'm making you whole. And by the way, that mission I had for you from the beginning where your job now is to catch men, that's still your job. And he's saying, hey, I want you to be the one who feeds and tends to my people. And man, aren't we all glad that Peter took on that job? Because it's through Peter that the church, just a few weeks later, is first initiated at Pentecost, where 2,000 come to faith. And who's the one that brings them the word? Who's the one that feeds them? Peter. And then through the New Testament, we see Peter continuing to feed and tend to those who are followers of Christ. He's a a key in, in helping Uh, the New Testament church, the early church, be who Jesus wants them to be. And Peter is is very central to that. And so we see Jesus here taking him and restoring him. So I, I think this is a point for us today as well, is the fact that Jesus seeks out and restores fallen believers. Maybe you're someone that, yes, you believe, you've experienced new life in Jesus, but you've messed up. You've had that moment in the courtyard where you've said, I don't even know him. Maybe you didn't say it with your words, but you said it with your actions. 
Maybe you knew what God's word says and how you should act and how you should treat others in a certain situation, and yet you've done the opposite. And it might be something to the point where you say, man, I just don't know if Jesus can even use me anymore. I fully believe that Jesus finds you in that moment and he comes to you and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Bringing you back, calling you back in, restoring you back to who I want you to be, restoring you back to where you need to be in your relationship with me and your relationship with the Father. Because yes, like with Peter, a lot was on the line there. But Peter himself came to understand that it wasn't all just based on him for sure. Because what they did as the church spread, it became clear that just Peter and the other disciples couldn't oversee and shepherd and tend to and feed all of these churches in all these different places on a constant basis, right? So what did they do? They put elders over each church in each place, in each location that had this responsibility, that had this job of feeding the sheep, of tending to the sheep. And Peter wrote to them in 1 Peter in chapter 5, he says this, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so Peter understood after Jesus gave him this charge, after he'd done it for a few years, he's like, yeah, this is important. It's important to feed the sheep. It's important to tend to the sheep. And by the way, I'm passing this on to other elders. Elders that are over each of the churches, here's your charge. Feed the sheep. Tend to the sheep. I find it very fitting that we have this passage today as as we're celebrating and honoring uh, Mark and Bruce and the, the great job you guys have done. I've watched you over the past years fully fulfill and carry out what Peter says here. I've seen you do this, and I thank you for it. Good job. Well done. Uh, and to Steve and Warren, as you now are, are active on the board, I'm, I'm loving seeing you guys stepping into this, stepping into this role and taking this challenge and taking care of our flock here. Um, part of uh, what uh, these, these guys have already done um, and... Uh, um, is they, they took our membership role. So if you're a member of the church, um, we've taken your name and we split it between the three of us. And between the three of us, we're committing uh, to praying daily um, for, for at least one on our list. And we want to follow up with you. We want to get to know you better. Um, we want to be there for you in a shepherding way um, to feed and tend the flock. Um, and so if you hear from one of these guys, that's what they're doing. That's their, that's, you know, and it's done out of love, so don't feel like, oh, well, they're just checking their box off for their, their assignment at church. That's why they gave me a call. No, like they, they're doing it out of love because they care for you. Um, and another thing that all five of us that I just mentioned want to see is we want to see other guys r- rise up to be ready to help us in this role of, of shepherding and tending the flock. 
Because the fact is, is that believers need to be cared for just as sheep need a shepherd. Growing up, I raised sheep, and I tell you, sheep without a shepherd is not, not a good formula. They are quick to kill themselves. Like, they're, you find a way a, an animal could kill itself, a sheep will do it, right? Like, I don't know how many sheep I saw run just head on into a wall and fall down. Like, just like, what are you doing, you dumb animal? Um, they are stupid. Um, I find it very fitting. That's, that's the analogy that Jesus uses for us and uses for his church. They're stupid animals. We've got to have somebody to watch over them, to tend them, to feed them, to take care of them. And that's what we need. That's what we all need in our life. We need that from Jesus, but we also need that from somebody here that's tangible, that's in our life, that's walking with us. And that's the role that Peter first had and then is passed on uh, to elders in the New Testament church. And it all leads down to the final thing that Jesus says to Peter here. Let's keep reading. So Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now it's assumed that John's writing this after Peter has already been killed. Um, and through church history, uh, we have the tradition and it's pretty, pretty accepted as fact that Peter, because of following Jesus, because of proclaiming the gospel, also was crucified. At the moment of his crucifixion, Peter made a deal with them. He said, I do not find myself worthy to be killed in the same way as my Savior. So he asked to be crucified upside down. So you imagine how excruciating crucifixion was. Now flip it over. Um, and so Jesus is prophesying about Peter here saying, like, yeah, you're going to do great things. You're going to feed my sheep. You're going to tend my flock. You're going to be a key role in the, in the early church. A lot of what I'm doing is going to happen through you. But in the end, they're going to take you by the hand. They're going to lead you somewhere you don't want to go. And Peter accepts that. And he takes that. And it all ends with Jesus telling him this. He said to him, follow me. So if the point is of, of John's writing was what? To believe that you may have life. What does that lead to? Following Jesus. Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be followers of Jesus. Help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus. This is what our church is here for, is to help us in being followers of Jesus. That's why we take his word and we, we apply it to our lives. That's why we do things like kids camp this week, where I'm so proud of you guys. So many of you guys are volunteering this week. Like, um, it's awesome. Like, we don't have any major gaping holes right now as far as volunteers. Like, it's it's great. I'm sure things will come up. If you got extra time this week and you want to help out, talk to me. There's little things we could, we could have help with. But, I mean, it is awesome the way you guys are coming together to do this. Why are we doing it? Because we want to be followers of Jesus and point these kids to Jesus. Connect with these families so that we can point them to Jesus. We have kids come into this camp who, whose parents 
never darken the door of a church, right? And we have this opportunity to build a relationship with them, to show them the love of Christ, to share with them his goodness. So it's such a great, great, It's a great opportunity we have this week. And I ask you that if you're not here, um, if, if you're working, whatever, just say a prayer each day uh, for what's going on here. Um, pray for us as we're, um, we're up here and, and, and serving and, and working with these kids. Um, I believe, Haley, in it Wednesday that the gospel is presented. Yeah, so on Wednesday, pray especially as Haley in the, the, the Bible time is laying out the gospel for the kids that, that they might be able to understand it grasp it and that the Holy Spirit might use that in their lives. So, so that's what we're about. That's what we're here for. And this is what we see John writing in John 21. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Christ. I thank you for what he has done for us. Um, I thank you that he did go to the cross, that he, uh, he did die paying the price for our sins. Thank you that he rose again uh, three days later. Thank you that he appeared uh, to the disciples. Thank you for this, this account that John passed on to us that of him restoring Peter especially. And we see as, as Peter had, had sinned against him, had denied him, here we see uh, John recording when, when Jesus came and restored him. He said, do you love me? And Lord, we just cry out today, with Peter, yes, we love you. The cry of our heart is that we love you today. Mm. Pray for anyone here joining us online who may not know you, who may not love you. God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you draw them into your love, you draw them into yourself. And I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.